Hello, I'm Rick Lancaster. Thank you for tuning in. Grab your Bible as we study through God's Word together. It's my hope that as we go through these messages that we will all grow in our understanding of God's Word. As we grow in our understanding, we'll also be better equipped to glorify God, bless others, and grow faith ours and others. If you have any questions about anything in this teaching, send me a message. I would love to connect with you. With that said, let's get into the Word and see what the Spirit would say to us today. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come thanking you for this opportunity to be here, to be in your house on this night. Lord, as we remember what is the most significant event in human history, And we thank you, Lord God, that um, we gather like this and we can proclaim your name and we can sing boldly of the God who loves us. And as we talk today about this great act of love that you poured out for us, we ask, Lord God, that our hearts would be open wide to receive what your spirit would say to your church. We praise you and love you and thank you. And we lift up this time to you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 All right. Don't get me started. All righty. So, welcome to the Good Friday service. So glad that you could be joining us. Those of you watching online, God bless you. Um, As uh, David said at the beginning, we will be doing communion at the end of this. And so, if you missed that announcement, you still have time to grab a cracker and some juice, and you can join us in the communion. The gospel of Jesus is a message of hope. The only time someone needs hope is when something important in their lives is outside of their control. When everything is going smooth and everything is good, everything is happy, everything is full, we don't need hope. It's when things are hard. Our friend Ashley had a baby this week. Speaking of babies, we love babies. Liara was born weighing about five pounds and was sent almost immediately to the NICU. And they found a number of serious things going on in her. Uh, Kelly shared it with me just a few minutes ago that they're seeing some improvement in these things. And I'm not going to try to tell you all the stuff that's going on. You can talk to Kelly about it. She has all the pertinent details. This is Ashley's first child. And she's having a hard time with this. And thinking of it and thinking of her just reminded me, brought back some pretty vivid memories in my own life as our first, Robert, shortly after he was born, not as soon as with her, but Kelly rushed him to the ER, and we discovered that he had viral meningitis. At how old was he? Six weeks. So we, you know, we were a little freaked out about that, right? You know, that's not that's not that's not a cold. It's not a little thing, and so we're pretty freaked out about it. At a time like that, you want to have faith. I was an unbeliever, so that really didn't help me. But Kelly needed faith. I wanted to have hope, but it was hard. It's hard when you're in the midst of that storm, when you're in the midst of that difficult thing, that dark 
thing. It's hard. Robert turned out okay. He can stay. He's good. We love babies. So don't, don't even worry about it. If anybody else doesn't like it, you have them come talk to me and I'll, I'll set them straight. <laughs> Ashley was, is absolutely helpless to do anything about what's going on with Liara. She must place her hope in something other than herself and in the doctors and nurses and the hospital and all the stuff that's going on there. But doctors and nurses can't do everything. And sometimes they make mistakes. And so it, it, sometimes we struggle putting our faith in something as imperfect as other humans. And when we encounter these difficult times, when we encounter these, these times of emotional or relational or financial or professional or, or spiritual darkness, we long for some light. We need hope. And not just any hope. We need a hope that will carry us through the darkness, will bring us through to the other side of the darkness. When it's dark outside, it's not quite dark outside, but it's going to be dark outside shortly. And if you're hoping for that darkness to go away, if you're outside and it's dark and you, want, you don't want it to be dark anymore, you, 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 you might look to the stars, you know, and say, okay, you know, I, I need some light here. Well, you know, we all know stars, they don't give a lot of light. They're not bright. They're not bright enough to drive away the darkness. We might look at the moon. Even the moon, even though it's brighter than the stars, is not enough to drive away the darkness. Our hope in that situation is in a star that we can't see because it's on the other side of the planet. But as we wait in the darkness, as we wait for it to end, we place our hope in that star because we have a level of confidence that it's going to show up because it always does. Tonight, we're going to look at a time of great darkness, really the greatest darkness that this world has ever seen. And we're going to look at how in that moment, in that darkest moment, there is hope. There's hope of a coming dawn. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. Our story begins in a garden, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus had his last meal with his disciples where he gave them some of the most radical and powerful teachings in all of the Bible. And after supper, Jesus brings them into the garden where he goes off by himself to pray. And it's well into the night before the, the uh, anti-hero shows up when Judas comes with a contingent, a large contingent of armed men to arrest Jesus. You know, I was just kind of thinking about this while I was preparing the message. And, you know, you know he, they, they came with some estimate hundreds of men to arrest Jesus with clubs and swords and who knows what else. You know how many men they needed to bring to arrest Jesus? One. He was going. If they'd showed up with, you know, the 97-year-old mall cop, 
he would have gone because he was going to go with them because he had an appointment. So Judas betrays Jesus. They arrest him. They take him to the religious leaders where, where he is falsely accused over and over again. Uh, they can't even find a couple guys just to agree with the false accusation. So this goes on and on for hours. They finally get enough false accusations that they figure out they've, they've got him where they want him. All of it false. And then they, they decide they're gonna send him off as we come to chapter 27 and they, and they, they get done with the false trials and then, then the real abuse begins and they beat him and mock him over and over again. Here in chapter 27, verses one and two, it says this. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death, and when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. The religious leaders wanted Jesus dead, and, 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 it, was bec- and it wasn't because he was some tor- terrible person. It wasn't because he had tried to start an insurrection. It wasn't because he had broken all the laws. It was for none of those things. It was because he had too much influence on the people. They were jealous of him. Pilate even looked at that and said, and and we see it in the scriptures, that Pilate could see the reason why the Jews brought him is because they were jealous of him. Pilate even tried to release Jesus several times. Even at one point, offering to trade Jesus for a murderer. And jump down to verse 20. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, which one of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said to him, let him be crucified. Then the governor said, why? What evil has he done? Pilate looked at him and can't find a reason to execute Jesus. And he keeps trying to release him, but can't find a way to do it. Verse 24, when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. Just meaning right. He was, he was innocent. He, was, they, he could not find a charge to bring against Jesus. Then he says to them, you see to it. And the people answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. Pilate even had Jesus scourged in an attempt to satisfy the the bloodlust of these Jewish religious leaders. It didn't. And so Pilate eventually turned Jesus over to the soldiers to be executed. But Jesus' humiliation was not over yet. Verse 27, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, hail, 
king of the Jews. And they spat on him, and they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put on his clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. Now as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, place of a skull. They gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink, but when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him. Jesus was crucified at about nine o'clock in the morning. Crucifixion was a slow, excruciating way to die. It's one of the most horrific forms of punishment that had ever been invented. The arms are stretched out and they're nailed to that cross beam. The feet were nailed together with a slight bend in the knee to the upright part of the cross. And hanging there made it very difficult to breathe. The crucified man, in an attempt to breathe, would push up to relieve the pressure on his lungs so that he could take a breath. But the moment he pushed up, all of that pain would show up in his feet. And then he would eventually, it would be so unbearable that he would relax his legs. And then the pain in his wrists would overwhelm him and and he would struggle to breathe again. This could go on for days. Until from exhaustion, they could no longer push up with their feet. And they would suffocate. Took me a little while to decide if I was going to share that or not. It's hard for me to talk about. David kind of talked about it a little bit as well. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 5.8, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you are one of those who's not afraid to write in your Bible, in that verse in Romans 5.8, I would circle the word us at the end of that verse, draw a line out to the margin and write my name and make it personal. Did he die for the whole world? Yep, the whole world. But did he die for you personally? And the answer is yes. And so when I, when I recognize that, I acknowledge the reality that Jesus died for me, and then I read this account of his, the abuse that he goes through, the false accusation, the mocking, the beating, the scourging, the, all of this torture that he goes through was for me. That's hard. Jesus hung on that horrible cross. He was crucified at 9 a.m. And for three hours, he just suffered there on that cross. And then something miraculous happened. In verse 45. Now, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. Six hours, sixth hour is noon. The sun is at its brightest, right? I mean, that's how it works in your house too, right? 
at noon, sun's like straight up. Somebody say yes. Come on, come on. Pretend like you're listening to me. But now, suddenly, it's pitch black. Now, now this, is, this, is, this is not an eclipse. This, is, this wasn't a, a nighttime type of darkness. There was no sun. There were no stars. There was no moon. It was black as pitch. It reminds me, in the very beginning... All the way back at, at the very beginning, God said, let there be light. For three hours, he said, let there be no light. And he turned off the lights. And this was not normal. This was not an ordinary darkness. It covered the land. And some believe it might have even covered the entire planet. This darkness meant something. Verse 46, it says this. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus came from heaven. Jesus spent an eternity with God in heaven as God the Son. Equal, one Every element, every aspect of who Jesus is can be found in God. They are one, though they are Father and Son. Then he comes down from heaven and takes on human flesh so that he can do what he's doing right now. You know, we sometimes think, you know, Jesus came, you know, to preach the gospel. Jesus came to do miracles. Jesus came to teach. No, no. He came to do what he's doing right in this text right here. He came to die for the sins of the world. Jesus had spent an eternity. We have no concept of how long Jesus and the Father had been one in eternity. We have no concept. We have no way of even knowing or imagining or measuring how long they had been one together. On the cross, something happened that made it possible for us to be saved and in a relationship with the living God. In 1 Corinthians 5, 21, it says this, for he, God, made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That happened on the cross. As Jesus on the cross God put all of the sins of the whole world on him. And when he did that, he had to turn away from him. Something that had never happened and has still never happened since. For that three-hour period, God the Father turned away from his only begotten son, the first time in all of time, or even before there was time. Yeah, not sure exactly how that works, because all I know is time. Jesus was separated from the Father. And it kind of just occurred to me, we always talk about that way. You know, Jesus was separated from the Father during that time. But the Father was also separated from the Son, something he'd never experienced. Now, we might not always think about that, 
but it's a graphic picture of what sin does to us. Sin separates us from God. God created us to be in intimate communion fellowship with him, to walk with him, to live with him, to to be with him, to love him, to worship him, and and to be the objects of his love to be the objects of those blessings. He, he, he wants to have this, this give-and-take relationship with us. But sin moves us away from that. God doesn't move, but when we sin, it moves us away from him. And it makes us, it moves us out of the light and into darkness. And unless we repent and return to God, turn to God, our eternal destiny is that separation from God in darkness forever. That's not God's plan. But he gives us a picture of it here. This is the destiny of everyone, anyone who rejects Jesus Christ. Separation from God in absolute darkness. After six hours on the cross, three of them in in total darkness, The Bible says Jesus yielded up his spirit. Jesus died. Not from crucifixion, not from the beatings, not from the scourgings. I was listening to a message and just happened to be talking about this as well. And and, and they they made the, the point that if Jesus hadn't yielded up his spirit, he might still be on the cross. You know, that he, it was not the cross that killed Jesus. He released his spirit and died. His choice, his power, his decision. The account goes on to tell us that his lifeless body was placed in a tomb and sealed with a massive stone where he would spend the next three days from a Jewish standpoint, in total darkness. And as darkness fell on that Friday night, Jesus' disciples were understandably shaken and upset and bothered. They believed Jesus was the Messiah. They they as much as said so on a, a number of occasions. And even though Jesus had told them that he was going to die, in that moment, it was too much to bear. And I can, I can so understand that. I, I, I can't tell you how many times. You know, I, I like to believe I'm a man of faith, right? I kind of, kind of preach it, so I kind of hope I'm practicing it a little bit too, right? I can't tell you how many times that, you know, that something comes and it kind of just rattles me. And I have to catch myself and say, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute, pastor. Shouldn't you be handling this different than that? And I tell Randy to be quiet, and then I, I, I move on. <laughs> Just kidding. Kidding. Never tell him that because he can be mean to me. All they could see was darkness, the darkness of death. And, 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 and gosh, I so get that. You know, things happen in our lives and, 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 and the, the emotion of it, the, the passion of it, the, the distress of it, the fear of it, all something in there is just, it kind of grabs you. 
But Jesus had left them with the light they needed to get through this darkness. In Luke 18, verse 31 to 33, says this. Then he took the 12 aside, and, and, and you'll notice how subtle Jesus is here with this. Took them aside. They're, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem, and all the things that are in by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and insulted, and spit upon. They will scourge him, and kill him. Is Jesus being, you know, speaking in parables here? No, he's telling them what's going to happen. He's going to be killed. And the third day he will rise again. You know, I've wondered in my own silly mind, you know, if I had been there, if I had been there and I heard this, I would have been sitting at the tomb waiting for Jesus to rise from the dead, right? Yeah, probably not. I've been right there with him. Jesus told him on several occasions that he was going to be killed, but on the third day he would rise again. They didn't understand, or they didn't believe, or some combination of the two. Dark times will come to all of us. They just will. You know, I'd love to be one of those churches where I say, oh, no, 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 no. If you believe enough and give enough, of course, then, you know, all things will be good for you. It doesn't work like that. It never has worked like that. It never will work like that. And any pastor that tells you that is a liar. I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? Yes, they are a liar. And they will stand before God and give an account for lying to their congregation. Listen, I share about Ashley. Ashley is like a part of our family. She's married, her brother is married to our daughter. And her parents have been friends of ours for almost as long as this church has been in existence. I don't even, can't even... Can't even guess how long. 20 years. In this dark time, you know, we can't put our hope in doctors or medicine or hospitals. Our hope is in God. Our hope is in his love for Liara and for Ashley and for us. That's where our hope is. Our hope is in that. Our hope is in God's power to do what the doctors can't. Is it possible that there's things that God can do that the doctors can't? Well, yeah, he created everything with the words of his mouth. He can do anything. Has he healed people? Yes. We personally know people who've experienced the healing power of God. We know he heals. Not, and I'm talking about miraculously healing. Does he heal through natural ways too and through doctors? Yes, he does that too. But we don't trust in that. We trust in God's power, whatever that looks like. We hope in God's presence for comfort during these times. Our hope is in God's promises. God has promised to care for his people. That's where our hope is. Our hope must be in God. Psalm 42, 11. It was interesting. I found this verse actually is repeated three times in the Psalms. In Psalm 42 and 43, you'll find this verse almost literally word for word repeated. Why are you cast down, O my soul? 
And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. And this, the, the psalmist is saying, why am I bothered by this? My God is God. He can do everything, anything. I need to trust him. And listen, there is no darkness so dark that God can't shine a light of hope into it. He can shine that hope into our soul. He can shine that light into our faith. He can shine that light into our very being. Hope in God. Now, the hope we have is, is not for everyone. Only those who believe. Those, those who don't believe, they don't have this kind of hope. They can't have this kind of hope. You know, Jesus said it's got to be a very specific kind of hope. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. To hope in God, we must go to God through faith in Christ for what he did on the cross. In a couple of minutes, and I'm going really fast tonight, we're going to do communion. And before I do that, we're going to pray. Now, now, I love Good Friday services because, you know, they're, they're just kind of cool. We can talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus anytime. But, you know, typically we're talking to believers, right? The people that come to, typically to a Good Friday service are believers. Communion calls us to remember this event. I mean, there, of, any, of any time, of any text that we're going to do communion after, this is the one. Amen. You tell us, hero. Communion calls us to remember what Jesus did. Now, if you're here or you're watching online and you're not sure, you know, I'm not sure, if you're not sure you are saved, you could be living in darkness. Or some darkness has come into your life and, and you're not relating it to it the way that you probably should. God wants to change that. God would say to us that we should not be living in darkness, but we should be living in the light. And maybe your circumstances are hard. And we've got, a, we've got a couple of people in the church. They're going through tough, tough things. God wants to give us hope. And that hope is found in what we talked about tonight. Jesus died for us to give us hope that, that nothing is beyond his power. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to ask him to do that right now. Heavenly Father, we do come, and we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would minister to our hearts about these things. Whether we, whether we um, got everything going on or we're struggling through day by day just to, just to get through, Lord, I, I know it was a divine appointment this afternoon when, when you brought a man, I just happened to just kind of wander across him in front of the, in front of the church, and and we got into a conversation, and he just 
just unloaded the darkness that his life is right now. And Lord, you gave me an opportunity to, to share the light, to shine the light of Jesus Christ into that darkness. And I believe that's what you call all of us to do. Whether we are well, you're longtime believers or, or brand new at it, you call us to be messengers of light. And so I thank you for that opportunity. I lift that man up to you. You know his name. You know his circumstances. And I pray, Lord God, that whatever humble words that I might have given to him, that they will settle into his heart and you, Holy Spirit, would cause him to, to feel your light radiating in and through the darkness that is his life. And help him to have hope. Because he didn't sound like he had much when I was talking to him. And Lord, I know there are people, maybe people that are listening to this message right now, watching this message, maybe here right now, who are struggling to find hope, to find something to hope in. Too often, Lord, we're, we're hoping for something that's not you. And Lord, our hope is only, can only be in you. And so I pray for this, your people, Lord, that you would minister to their hearts, that you would give them hope where they can't see it. But supernaturally, Holy Spirit, that you would minister light into their darkness. You may not take the darkness away, but we can have hope in the midst of the darkness. Lord, we have your word. We have your spirit. We have your church. All of these things are given to us so that we might be able to find the hope that, that we need so desperately. And so I pray, Lord, that you would give us the courage to reach out and to touch those who need hope today. And Lord, does anyone here that maybe is hearing this message and, not, and doesn't know if they are believers or not, that you would ask them, you would, you would minister to their hearts and help them to believe. Jesus died for their sins, for your sins. Believe it. Receive it. The Bible says that you will be saved. And we pray, Lord, that you would minister to each of us right where we are. Give us hope if we need it and help us to be vessels of hope for others who need it. We praise you, Lord, and we love you, and we lift this night up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. It's one of my core beliefs that the Bible or Word of God has the power to transform our lives. It's my hope that these messages will help you to do just that and to glorify God and bless others and grow faith. If there's anything that we can do to help you with that, don't hesitate to connect with me. You'll find ways to do that in the show notes. In the show notes, you'll also find links to my sermon notes and other resources to help you in your study of God's Word. And sometimes we do need help to grow in our faith. If there's anything that I can do, don't hesitate to connect with me. I love talking to God's people about God and His Word. So send me your questions and I'll do my best to answer them. This message was shared at Calvary Chapel French Valley in Murrieta, California. If you'd like more information about the church, go to calvaryfv.com. The link is in the show notes. Until next time, stay in the word and have a radical week with Jesus. Jesus.